Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's September 25th, 2016, which means there are only three months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we're going to learn all about the song, Do They Know It's Christmas? Plus, we found a helpful new way to count down the days until Christmas. We're going to rank the top five Ebenezer Scrooges. We've discovered a way to add a little Disney magic to your decorations this year. And you'll hear the final batch of contestants in the 2016 Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone. This is Sean, also known as E. Xander at the Merry Farms of MyMerryChristmas.com. And I can't wait for Christmas. <laughs> season's greetings to you. True, the current season is autumn, but as long as I'm feeling this merry, I'll greet you any season of the year. Welcome to the show. My name is Tim Babb. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I can't wait for Christmas. Sadly, until someone invents a time machine, we have to wait for Christmas. But is there a way to share the Christmas spirit while you're waiting? There is, and it's our tip in our first segment. We need a little Christmas now. We need a browsing on the Facebooks, and I happen to run across a post from the Countdown to Christmas Facebook page. It's a reverse advent calendar. Now, on their post, which was from July 9th, by the way, I, I am totally Johnny on the spot with this, but the post says you get a box, and every day you add an item to the box. And in the photo, there's a can of food and some toothbrushes in the box. Then it says, on Christmas Eve, you donate the box to a food bank. Now, that is a great idea as is, but then I looked at the comments. <gasps> Relax, it's okay. I know the comments section on the internet are usually the layer of pure, soul-crushing evil sauce, but not this time. There were a bunch of people with ways to tweak the idea and make it even better. One person said it would be a great classroom activity for students. Another suggested putting a dollar in every day so that the food banks could use it to buy exactly what they need. But then someone else pointed out that the food banks are actually hit much harder during the summer months by families who rely on the free or reduced school lunch. So something like this could really benefit them in the summer. So in June, you could do a countdown to Leon Day, or start in July and count down to Christmas in July. Or really, every month has a 25th. You could do this any month of the year. You don't even have to limit it to the 25th. October is right around the corner. You could do a countdown to Halloween. This is a really adaptable premise, and I think it's a really nice way to help spread the joy of Christmas to those less fortunate while you're trying to celebrate in your own way any day of the year. But what do you think? Based on the comments I saw on that Facebook post, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Leave a comment at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com, or you can go to our Facebook page where we reposted the original post on our wall. Reposted the original post. Yeah, I said all those words right. But now, I've made a list, and I've checked it twice. We're going to find out who's the best at being naughty, and eventually nice. It's time for our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. For this list, I'm going to pick my five favorite incarnations of Charles Dickens' immortal character, Ebenezer Scrooge. There are no specific rules. This Scrooge can be from a movie or from TV. They can be a real person or a cartoon. As long as they are Scrooging it up, they can make this list. All right, here comes the Scroogitude. Number five. George C. Scott in 1984's A Christmas Carol. Mr. Classic, 
The fire's gone cold, Mr. Scrooge. Come over here, Mr. Cratchit. What is this? A shirt. And this? A waistcoat. And this? A coat. These are garments, Mr. Cratchit. Garments were invented by the human race's protection against the cold. Once purchased, they may be used indefinitely for the purpose for which they are intended. Cold burns. Cold is momentary and cold is costly. There will be no more coal burnt in this office today. Is that quite clear, Mr. Cratchit? Yes, sir. Now, please get back to work before I am forced to conclude that your services are no longer required. Yes, sir. I understand to many people this is the definitive Scrooge, and it's easy to see why. You've got a feel for poor Bob Cratchit in this. Nobody wants to work for an angry General Patton. <laughs> get it? Because George C. Scott won the Oscar for Patton? No? Okay, well, Scott gives a great performance. He makes Scrooge feel like a powerful titan of industry, which makes it all the more fulfilling when the ghosts break him down by the end. Ah, spoilers! Oh, come on, really? You gotta be kidding me. Number four. Patrick Stewart in 1999's A Christmas Carol. Why do you doubt your senses? Because little things upset them. An upset stomach and put them quite out of order. You could be a crumb of moldy cheese, an underdone turnip. Moldy cheese, an underdone turnip? Oh, some British beef. That could be mighty upsetting to the stomach. There's more gravy than grave about you, Jacob. As a nerd, of course I've got to put Captain Picard on my list. He really knows how to engage with the material. If you need a scene to have a certain emotional weight, he will make it so. <laughs> and the role of Ebenezer Scrooge suits him to a T. Earl Grey hot. Oh, sorry. Getting a message from Starfleet Command. Uh, they want me to stop with the Star Trek puns or they will fire on the Christmas cave. Well, I guess we should just boldly go on with our list. <laughs> ah! Number three. Michael Caine, The Muppet's Christmas Carol. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Spirit, I fear you more than any spectre I have yet met. This is too scary. I don't think I want to see any more. No, when you're right, you're right. You're on your own, folks. We'll meet you at the finale. Yeah. Oh. I cannot overstate how much I love this movie, and Michael Caine is a big reason. Although he seemed to have a bit of a rough time with the singing parts of the movie, he nailed everything else about this role. Only a true thespian of the highest order can make you think he has such disdain for the lovable Muppets. Who can hate the Muppets? And more than other Scrooges, I feel like Michael Caine's Scrooge, there's a truly measurable change that you can see gradually take place over the course of the film. He's not just the same jerk-up until the end. He slowly softens with each scene. Brilliant! Number two. Bill Murray in Scrooge. Now, how did that happen? That happened because it's Christmas Eve, I'm telling you! I'm not crazy. It's Christmas Eve. It's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We... We, we smile a little easier, we, 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 we cheer a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. It's a miracle. It's really a sort of a miracle, because it happens every Christmas Eve. And if you waste that miracle, you're going to burn for it. I know what I'm talking about. You have to do something. You have to take a chance. You, you do have to get involved. There are people that are having having trouble making their miracle happen. 
There are people that don't have enough to eat. That there are people that are cold. You can go out and say hello to these people. You can take an old blanket out of the closet and say, "Here." You can make them a sandwich and say, "Oh, by the way, here." I get it now. Okay, now for this one. Wait just a minute. Then, from the old Netcot podcast, where did you come from? Well, I'm the ghost of podcasts past, and I'm here to warn you that Bill Murray's character in Scrooge was named Frank Cross, not Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, yeah, he isn't called Ebenezer Scrooge, but he essentially fulfills that role in this narrative. I mean, it, it's close enough, right? Fine, do it your way. But when the ghost of Charles Dickens comes to haunt you, don't say I didn't try to help. Wait, come back, Van. Don't leave. Stick around for the rest of the show. Bah humbug. Van, no! Well, I was just going to tell him that Scrooge is the quintessential Christmas jerk, and Bill Murray plays a fantastic jerk. He actually benefits, I think, from not technically playing Scrooge, because he's not bound to the exact same story that the other Scrooges are. Specifically, he gets to give that amazing monologue at the end. It's such a great delivery. It seems like Cross is just on the brink of madness with each word, which would make perfect sense after the day that dude is at. Honorable Mentions! Matthew McConaughey in Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. To me... Marriage is an archaic and oppressive institution that should have been abolished years ago. And love, (laughs) it's magical comfort food for the weak and the uneducated. Yeah, it makes you feel all warm and relevant, but in the end, love leaves you weak, dependent, and fat. Yeah, that might not make the best toast. Are you saying I'm fat? No. No, 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 sweetie, sweetie. He's he's being funny, I I think. All right, now bear with me, because... Hold on a minute. Jeff Westover from MyMerryChristmas.com? What are you doing here? Well, I'm the ghost of podcast present, and I've got to step in here. Bill Murray was already a stretch, but not only is Matthew McConaughey not playing Scrooge, the movie's not even about Christmas. It's, okay, that yeah, I mean, yes, that's true. You're right, it has nothing to do with Christmas. Matthew McConaughey plays a guy who treats women like objects, and he learns the true meaning of love by the ghosts of his past girlfriends and his dead uncle, played by Michael Douglas. And I'm fully aware of how stupid that plot sounds. I'm not even sure why I watched this movie. It was a time when I had just gotten cable hooked up and they threw in HBO free for a month, so for some reason I flipped to HBO and this was on, and darned if I wasn't pleasantly surprised. It works way better than it has any right to, and it is truly an original take on this story and character, which is why Maddie gets an honorable mention spot on this list. But by putting McConaughey in this slot, you're leaving out some truly great Scrooge performances like Albert Finney in the 1970 musical Scrooge or Alistair Sim in 1951's A Christmas Carol, Tim. Well, that's why I got someone from a more established and well-respected Christmas show to mention them and add some gravitas to this countdown. Well played. Carry on. All right, all right, all right. Number one. Scrooge McDuck, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Why, Mr. Scrooge, uh, Merry Christmas. Won't you come in? Merry Christmas. I have another bundle for you. But, sir, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day, indeed. Just another excuse for being lazy. And another thing, Cratchit. I've had enough of this half-day-off stuff. You leave me no alternative <laughs> but to give you... Toys! Yes, toys. No, 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 no. I'm giving you a raise and making you my partner. A, a partner? Oh, thank you, Mr. Scrooge. Merry Christmas, Bob. And God blesses everyone. 
Yes, Scrooge McDuck is number one on this list. Now, I know that... Whoa! Chris Hardwick from the Nerdist Podcast. Oh, I get it. You must be the ghost of Podcast Future. Hello? Why are you just standing there? Oh, right. I get it. The ghost of the future doesn't talk in the Dickens story, so that's why Chris Hardwick is not talking. It's not because he's not here and I've made this up, and just to make it sound like there's a celebrity on my podcast who has no idea who I am, Chris Hardwick is totally here. He's just not talking right now, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, get on with the rest of the countdown, if that's okay. So basically what I was saying was, I know this list contains... A classically trained Shakespearean actor, three Academy Award winners, and a genuine living comedy legend, but I'm still giving the top spot to a cartoon duck. This was my introduction to the character when I was a kid. This is actually the shortest performance on the list. Scrooge McDuck has got to hit all the major beats of this story in just 30 minutes, but he does it masterfully. When Disney and Christmas cross paths, the result is always magical. So that's my list. What's yours? Did I leave out your favorite Scrooge? Is someone too high or too low on the list? Are you Googling Ghosts of Girlfriends Past to see if it's available for streaming? Don't bother. It's not. But please, share your favorite Scrooges in the comment section of can'twaitforchristmaspod.com or tweet them to us at ChristmasPod. And I want to give a big thanks to Van of the podcast formerly known as Netcot. Now, they're not making new episodes of the Netcot podcast anymore, but Netcot.com didn't die. It just regenerated Time Lord style. It is now typhoidlagoon.com, and it's basically a satire Disney news site. Think of The Onion, but for just Disney stories. That's what's going on over there. If you want to check them out, there's a link in the show notes. And speaking of special thanks, I want to give a special thanks to Jeff Westover of MyMerryChristmas.com. He is Got his hands full over there. Not only is he doing the MyMerryChristmas.com website, then he's got the Kringle Radio he's overseeing, and then there's the My Merry Christmas podcast, and then he added a second, the Merry Little podcast. So he's got a lot going over there, and it's all available at MyMerryChristmas.com, which you can find in the show notes of this episode. And, of course, I have to thank Chris Hardwick, who is totally here and really thankful to be on the show and I just I'm just so glad that me and Chris Hardwick are now personal friends and and the fact that he invited me to be on at midnight is super awesome so uh, be sure and tweet Chris Hardwick and ask him when my date is just to remind him because I'm sure he would love to be reminded of the great times he had here in the Christmas cave next up we got a quick news story because sometimes all I want for Christmas is news baby all I want That news, baby. This story comes to us courtesy of the good folks at the Disney Fashionista blog, the internet's Disney fashion news leader. It seems the proprietor of the blog, Michelle, stumbled onto some sweet new Disney Christmas decor and a recent trip to Lowe's. Disney has a collection of Christmas lights this year called the Disney Magic Holiday Collection. What is the Disney Magic Holiday Collection? I'm glad you asked, imaginary listener that sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. According to Michelle, it's a massive variety of lighting options done with a Disney flair to help decorate this holiday season. And that is a direct quote from the blog. But they have strings of Mickey Mouse-shaped lights, an LED Christmas tree, a light-up Olaf from Frozen, but the thing that got me the most excited were the projectors. You can project Mickey heads onto your house, a twinkling star field, or even fireworks. I think this is pretty darn cool, but I'm also a little conflicted about it. 
Because last year I bought the Star Shower, the thing that projects a bunch of red and green laser lights to cover your house. It was great. I totally recommend it, especially if like, I got it for like 40 bucks. But the other day I was at Rite Aid, and I was looking through the Halloween stuff, and stuck in there was a new Star Shower that made the red and green lights move around. So I totally bought that. But now I see these cool Disney projectors. I want one of them too. But how many projectors does one house really need? Well, while I wrestle with this quandary, you can check out the blog, which is in the show notes for this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Now, I'd like to invite you on a journey into our musical past. Every Christmas carol has its origin story. So today, we're going to learn how one of our most popular modern Christmas songs came to be. Nineteen eighty four was a pretty amazing year for music. We had Ghostbusters, Footloose, Purple Rain, and that was just from movie soundtracks. Tina Turner asked us what's love got to do with it, Weird Al told us to eat it, and Madonna told us she was like a virgin. Hmm. Yet one song stands apart from all these legendary hits. It's Do They Know It's Christmas by the supergroup Band-Aid. the supergroup because they all wore spandex and capes. It's because it was a group of the UK's most popular singers. Sting, Bono, Phil Collins, George Michael, Simon the Bon, and many more. What brought all these musicians together to record A Christmas Carol? According to the documentary The Song That Rocked the World, it all started because of one news report on the BBC. It was a story about the famine in Ethiopia that ran on October 23, 1984. Musician Bob Gildoff saw this and was very moved by it. Bob wanted to create a charity song and have his band, the Boomtown Rats, sing it. But he knew his band was on the decline and no longer had the clout to bring the kind of awareness to this issue that he felt it deserved. So he called his friend Midge Ur, whose band Ultravox was tearing up the British charts. With Midge on board as the producer, they could confidently reach out to other musicians to collaborate on the song. And Bob was tenacious. He was on the phone constantly with artists. As Bono says, I thought he was ringing up to say, you know, I like, I like your album. But no, he told me the album was but, uh, but despite that fact, would I like to be part of his song. Or, as Phil Collins says, Phil, I need a famous drummer. And uh, that I've never forgotten, because, you know, he, he didn't sort of have any, didn't have any qualms about whether I was good or not. He just wanted someone that was famous. <laughs> he even bum-rushed Gary Kemp in a random antique shop near his house. Then he got his record label to distribute the song for free. Cool and the Gang happened to be under the same label and were in the offices while Bob was pitching the song, and that's why they are randomly the only American band on the song. After distribution was secured, they finagled 24 hours of free studio time. Unfortunately, that 24 hours was all they had to record and mix the record. I can't imagine how stressful that was. It takes me way longer than 24 hours to record and mix this podcast every month, and I don't even have to work around the schedules of the different members of Bananarama. But... They had their date, November 25th, which I just have to stop for a minute. If you remember, the BBC News report was on October 23rd. That means in just a hair over a month, Bob has the idea, convinces Midge to collaborate with him on it, writes a song, cajoles about 40 huge musical names to be a part of it, gets them all into the studio, records it, and mixes it. That is nothing short of a Christmas miracle. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. Christmas time We let it light, we banish shade Oh, in our world of plenty We 
spread a smell of joy Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time Now I don't know about you, but I've always thought the first half of the song and the last half of the song sounded a lot different. It turns out there's a reason for that. The first part of the song is a song that Bob had already written for his band that they never recorded, and he just Weird Al yankovic his own lyrics. But then, Midge came up with the chorus at the end, so the two parts of the song literally come from two different minds. One, two, three, four! Let them know it's Christmas time again! Finally, the big recording day came, and there were even more challenges on the day. A couple of performers who weren't invited showed up, including actor Nigel Planner, who showed up in his character from the show The Young Ones. He wasn't so much there for the cause as he was there to mug for the cameras. He was eventually asked to leave. How bad are you messing up when you get asked to leave a charity single? Then there was someone who was supposed to be there but wasn't. Although Boy George had agreed to take part, he didn't show up. He was sleeping in a hotel room in New York City. I got his number in a hotel, I don't know where, in New York. And uh, he ran, I said, where are you? Sort of like father or dad, you know? There was this kind of mad Irish voice kind of ranting down the phone at me. And I was like, can you stop a minute? Who is this? And I said, it's Gallop, where are you? And he goes, he goes, I'm in New York. He said, I've just woken up. I said, get on a plane. You know, it's just like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, okay, well, you know. And he said, is it today? And I said, yeah. And I said, there's a Concord at whatever, one o'clock. I said, get up, get on it. Okay, and then I went back to sleep and I sort of woke up in the morning and I thought, did that happen? So he didn't get on the next Concord, but he got on the one after that and made it in time to lay down his part of the song. Meanwhile, some of the other artists were severely hungover and decided the only cure was more alcohol. So the next time you watch the video, try and pick out who is drunk in the big chorus at the end. That's pretty much how I was feeling, yeah, on the day, because, I mean, you know, it was, it was all going off. And uh, there were hangovers, terrible hangovers. Not the best way to go in feeling. So the only way to, to start feeling better is to get wrecked again. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what happened. Despite the chaos of the day, they were able to get everything recorded and mixed together into the song we've come to know and love. It was released on December 3rd in the UK and December 10th here in the US. It was a huge hit both at home and abroad. In this instance, despite my accent, at home means the UK and abroad means like here in the US and elsewhere. Okay, you, you got what I'm saying. Anyway, it became the highest selling record in the UK and held the title until 1997 when Elton John released an updated version of Candle in the Wind to pay tribute to the late Princess Diana. After the song generated about 10 million pounds in famine relief, Bob traveled to Ethiopia personally to oversee the distribution of the aid. He met with relief agencies to help determine where the money could do the most good. a success, it also generated some controversy. Bob was angry that the British government insisted on imposing the value-added tax, or VAT, on the sales of the single, since everyone else involved worked for free. And he had promised during his promotional appearances that every penny would go to help the people of Ethiopia. Bob went as far as personally confronting Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. We had a bit of a problem with the VAT on the record. I know, but you know, don't forget, we've used some of your VAT. The, to, to give back and to plow back. Mm. We've given again and again. I mean, a government has to get taxation from somewhere. But see, she was turning to go, and being me, I had to get the last word, and she said, it's, 
you know, she said, it's not as simple as that. And I said, no, Prime Minister, nothing as simple as dying, really. But don't Prime forget, Minister, there are millions dying, and yes. that's the terrible thing. Although the government did not waive the VAT, they eventually donated an amount to the charity equal to the amount of the tax they had collected on the single. So, he technically won that one? We're going to call that a win. Some criticized the song for bringing awareness to the famine, but not the cause of the famine. See, it wasn't just some random chance that caused this famine. Yes, there was severe drought, but there were also decades of civil war being waged with, to say the least, questionable counterinsurgency strategies from the Ethiopian government. Most believe that although famine was bound to happen, the Ethiopian regime caused the famine to come earlier, strike harder, and extend further than would have otherwise been the case. What's worse is that the government that exacerbated the famine problem ended up benefiting from the generosity of the people buying the song. I found this on Crack.com. The aid workers who traveled to Ethiopia were forced to exchange the aid money for the country's currency at highly inflated rates, thus inadvertently funding and reinvigorating the evil government. That money also helped fund the government's forced relocation program of thousands of starving people from the south of the country to camps in the north. It's estimated that one in six of those who made the journey died. Wait, is this still a comedy podcast? Because this is getting pretty heavy, man. And I'm not even done with the criticisms yet. There were people who criticized the lyrics of the song. They say that asking, do they know it's Christmas, is insulting because there are plenty of Christians in Africa, but I feel like those people are almost intentionally missing the point in order to make their case. The song isn't saying, Hey, Africans, have you heard of this thing called Christmas? It's saying that these people affected by the famine don't get a holiday from their suffering, from their nightmare. They're asking us to help them because they deserve to experience the joy of Christmas. Another lyric that people have flagged as problematic was actually a sticking point when the song was being recorded. I'll let Bono and Bob tell you more. I said, please don't ask me to sing that line tonight, thank God. Um, it's them instead of you. I just, I just don't think I can sing that. He didn't like that at all. You know, he thought it was very raw and crude and not what I wanted to say, because that's what he said. He said, are you sure that's what you want to say? It seemed like the most bitterly selfish line. Um, and I think maybe it was the truth of it that, that unnerved me about it. I did, almost didn't want to admit to it. It is happening. There's no point pretending or wishing it was otherwise. That's why we're here. You know, and what makes me respond is when I look at my kid and just say, thank God, you know, and that's the response. That's why we're going to help, because this shouldn't happen to anyone. I have to admit, even I um, get the shivers um, when I hear it. Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. I feel like all this criticism of this song has taken its toll on Bob and Midge over the years. They've both given fairly recent interviews where they sound less than proud of the song. In 2015, Midge said, It's never been a great song. It's kind of grown into a better song than it ever was. He added that, As a record, as a production, it did a brilliant job despite the fact that the song was okay. That compliment could not be more backhanded. In 2010, Bob said in an interview, I'm responsible for two of the worst songs in history. One is Do They Know It's Christmas? The other is We Are the World. Okay, Bob, pump your brakes, bro. Now you are dissing Michael Jackson, and I won't stand for that. We Are the World is actually one of my favorite songs. I even did a cover of it in my Disneyland YouTube video series. And We Are the World is just one of the things to spring from the legacy of Do They Know It's Christmas. It also inspired Live Aid, a huge concert that took place in England and the U.S. and raised $25 million for famine relief. George Michael also donated the profits from Wham's Christmas hit, Last Christmas, to the relief efforts in Ethiopia because he was moved to do so after working on Do They Know It's Christmas. 
As a comedian, I'm also impressed with the comedy that was inspired by this song. There was a parody song called Do They Know It's Halloween, and the folks behind what is now the Comedy Bang Bang podcast got a bunch of comedians together to do a cover of this song to raise money for food banks in Los Angeles. The cover featured Weird Al Yankovic, Paul F. Tompkins, Tig Notaro, Patton Oswalt, Doug Benson, and the ghost of podcast future himself, Chris Hardwick. Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. Good. Now I'm not lying when I say later that you can hear Chris Hardwick on this month's episode. <laughs> anyway, the relief effort also inspired comedy scriptwriter Richard Curtis and comedian Lenny Harry to form Comic Relief, which is a British charity that raises money via a live telecast featuring some of the funniest comics in the UK. It started back in 1985 and is still going strong today. The UK Comic Relief inspired a US version, which was hosted by Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, and the late Robin Williams, and that was to raise money for homelessness in the US. And those Comic Relief specials inspired me to try comedy for the first time, and that is not an exaggeration. I literally straight ripped off a Billy Crystal bit from one of the Comic Reliefs at my high school, and that's how I got started in comedy. So basically, if not for Do They Know It's Christmas, I might never have become a stand-up comic. How about that, Bob and Midge? Do you feel better now? I am being told that I had no effect on them, and I should perhaps avoid making this all about me. Fair enough. But this song continues to endure. Not only is it played every year at Christmas, it has been re-recorded numerous times. In 1989, they did Band-Aid 2. In 2004, they did Band-Aid 20. And just two years ago, in 2014, Band-Aid 30. Is this song really over 30 years old? Oh, boy. Anyway, new artists jumped at the chance to be a part of the re-recordings like Kylie Minogue, Paul McCartney, Chris Martin, and even One Direction. Yes, even One Direction got in on this. Before Zayn left the group, friends. I guess what I'm saying, Bob, Midge, you don't know you're beautiful. Ah! I didn't know Starfleet was still monitoring my lame dad jokes. Well, anyway, I guess I'm saying, despite what are some valid criticisms of the song, I personally like it very much. I listen to a lot of music for this podcast, and sometimes I'll get a little tired of what I'm listening to because I've heard it over and over and over again, and I need a little break from it. But I've been prepping for this feature for months, and I've listened to Do They Know It's Christmas a bunch of times while doing research for this. But I'm still not tired of it. In fact, as we end this segment, I'd like to hear just a little bit more of it. Okay, now it's time to talk about a different song. Our quest to crown the ultimate rendition of Jingle Bells continues with the next round of the 2016 Jingle Brawl! Last round was a landslide. The winner never had less than 50% of the vote. When the polls finally closed, they wound up having 61% of total votes cast. So, moving on to the semifinals is... Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters! But now it's time for you to pick from the final 10 performers in the preliminary round. So let's meet the contestants! The Ray Conniff Singers! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh. The Manhattan Transfer! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh. Natalie Cole! Dashing through the snow in a one horse open sleigh. 
Feliciano. Once a day, every day, until the polls close on October 20th. Then, join us for our October episode for the semi-final round of the 2016 Jingle Brawl! And that wraps things up for this episode. I do want to remind you that we've added a lot of fun new Christmas card designs to the Can't Wait for Christmas Zazzle store over at Zazzle.com slash Can't Wait for Christmas. What's cool is not only can you personalize each card with photos and text, but they've each got matching stamps and return address labels that you can order that give your Christmas mailings a cool, uniform look. Zazzle also had a big 50% sale off cards last month, and we posted it on our Facebook and our Twitter. If they do another one, which they more than likely will, I'll be sure to keep you posted. So keep an eye on our social medias so you can say, by grab Thar's hammer, what a savings. Also, we'll be adding matching wrapping paper, disposable cups, napkins, plates, and more, so you can have a unified theme to your entire Christmas party. I also want to give another huge thanks to Van from the website formerly known as Netcot, now known as TyphoidLagoon.com for joining us, and of course Jeff from MyMerryChristmas.com. Both those guys are very busy, and I am super grateful that they thought I was worth making time for. Links to their sites are in the show notes as well this week, so after you vote in the Jingle Brawl, be sure and show them a little love. Well, I guess I'll let you go now, but thanks so much for stopping by the Christmas Cave. Enjoy all the pumpkin spice goodness you can until we next meet up, and in the meantime, keep laughing all the way. That was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2016. Oh. Uh, hey, oh, thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like this show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and write us a review. Or if you prefer to stream your podcast, we're now available on Stitcher as well. <laughs> if you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. There you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can buy customizable Christmas decorations, clothing, and other gift ideas all year long. Our show only comes out once a month, 
but we'd love to interact with you any day of the year. Just come by to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can't wait for Christmas pod, or our Twitter name at Christmas pod, or you can always send us an email directly at Christmas at tangas.com. The can't wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast podcast network. We wish you a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this glorious version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the amazing Kristen Nowicki. All of their music and sounds are properties of their individual copyright holders and no infringement is intended. All right, I can't think of anything else to say. How about you boys? God bless us, everyone. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It's September 25th, 2016, which means there is a, a problem with me reading all of a sudden. So today, we're going to learn how one of... So today, we're going to learn how one of pop... The word pop did not randomly need to be inserted into that sentence. Thank you, typos! So today, we're going to learn how to... <laughs> The first part of the song is a song that Bob had already written for his band that they never recorded, and he just Weird Al Yankovic'd his own ear. <clears throat> the first part of the song is a song. The first part of the song is a song that Bob had already written for his band that they never recorded, and he just Weird Al Yankovic'd his own ear. And he just re- and he just Weird Al Yankovic'd his own ear. Wow, that is hard to say. Bob went as far as personally confronting Prime Miniature. Prime Miniature. It's a Prime Miniature, Margaret Thatcher. To say the least, questionable counterinsurgency with to say the least, questionable counterinsurgency strategy oh boy. Counterinsurgency strategies. How many takes will it take Tim to get this right? I don't know, I guess it will be more than two. Yes, there was a severe drought, but there were also decades of civil war being waged with, to say the least, questionable counterinsurgency strategies from the Ethiopian... Oh, I got counterinsurgency strategies and tripped up on Ethiopian government. This is the most complex sentence ever written. Can I read it? Maybe! Yes, there was severe drought, but there were also decades of civil war being waged with, to say the least, questionable counterinsurgency strategies from the Ethiopian government. Yes! Nailed it! Okay, Bob, pump your brakes, bro. Pump your brakes, bro. Why do I write these things? When the polls closed, they wound up having 61% of the total votes cast. So, moving on to the... What just happened? What just happened? I hit the some button and my notes went away. Welcome to the show. I've passed that already. I was in the middle of the jingle brawl. Can't you hear my gravelly voice? Oh, phone, why do you mess me up? <laughs> I am ridiculous. I am ridiculous.